Now, um, as we uh, continue to engage with God and worship God, we'll hear his word. And because we're gathering together all ages, no other programming except our gathering together, we'll also have a moment um, every uh, Sunday uh, of uh, sharing with the, the, the children. So, And I know the, the children really can enjoy that and also the children at heart as well can gain from hearing from God. So let's, um, today, Colleen Scheid will uh, share with us um, uh, a thought for the children. Hello, kids and adults, and hello to people at home and to people at church. Before I tell you a Bible story today, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been bullied? Uh, bullies say mean things. Maybe they hurt you physically. Maybe they make you do things you don't want to do. I was bullied when I was a kid, and it was really scary. So here's what I like about the story I'm going to tell you. Jesus knows about bullies. So if you can read Grown Up Soup, I want you to say this with me. Jesus knows about bullies. So Jesus lived in the country of Israel uh, a long time ago where even some of God's people's leaders were bullies. And not only that, but the Roman soldiers had taken over their country and Rome made them pay lots of money to their government called taxes. And some of the soldiers even took extra money on top of that. So God's people, lots of them were really poor. Now, let's go back to the leaders of God's people who were bullies. Worst thing about them was they were really jealous of Jesus. He had a lot of people who loved him and listened to him teach. Crowds were coming around him, and they they wanted the power for themselves. So they said to themselves, hey, let's get rid of Jesus. Let's ask him a question in front of everyone that will get him in trouble. We'll say, should we be paying taxes to the Romans? And then if Jesus says yes, That'll make everybody really mad, and they won't want to follow him anymore. But if he says no, then the Romans will arrest him, and either way, we get rid of him. So they found Jesus, and he was right in the middle of teaching people and telling them about God's love and healing people. So I want you to remember those main things about Jesus. Let's read this together. Jesus healed people and told them about God's love. So bullies pretend to be on Jesus' side. They go up to him and they're like, hey, Jesus, we know that you always tell the truth and we know that you teach about God and that you're not afraid what anyone thinks of you. So, so tell us, should we be paying taxes to that Roman leader, Caesar, or not? Now, Jesus knew they were trying to get him in trouble because he always listened to God. And God told him what he needed to know. So remember that. Let's read this together. Jesus always listened to God. Jesus said, why are you trying to trap me? If you have a coin, let me see it. So they hand him a silver coin, kind of like this quarter. Have you ever noticed on our coins, we have the faces of our leaders. Like this is George Washington on the quarter. Well, the Roman coins were like that. So... Jesus says, give me a coin. They give him a silver coin. And he says, whose picture is on it? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, well then, pay Caesar what is due to Caesar. 
pay God what's due to God. Now that was a really wise answer because Jesus wasn't saying you should be paying a bunch of extra and you should be poor, but he was also reminding those bully leaders that God is in charge and they better be obeying him. So they knew that they hadn't turned to Jesus. He hadn't said anything illegal. Nobody was mad. So they just walked away shaking their heads. Now, I think this is a really cool story because it teaches us that we don't have to be afraid of anyone. Say that with me because it's so important. We don't have to be afraid of anyone. All we got to do is listen to God for the right thing to say and then say it. Jesus is always with us. He will always help us with bullies and other people who are against us. He will always give us wisdom about how to handle things and how to be smart. So that's where I want you to get out of this story. And there's one more thing um, that you need to get out of the story, and that is that you're not supposed to cheat on your taxes. So kids, let's say this to the adults. Are you ready? Here we go, kids. Don't cheat on your taxes. Okay, now we're going to go through all of these one more time so you remember the important things from this story. Stay with me. Jesus knows about bullies. Jesus healed people and told them about God's love. Jesus always listens to God. We don't have to be afraid of anybody. And don't cheat on your taxes. Very good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are always with us, that you love us, that you will help us when people are against us. You'll help us if we're ever bullied, and you will tell us the right thing to say. Amen. Amen. A uh, timely word for today um, uh, in this season of life of Jesus when he talks about uh, being with the government, Christianity, and politics. I mean, during the pressure today of a pandemic, the, the continued uh, addressing of, the, of racial injustice, the upcoming election has made almost everything uh, political or, or partisan or has raised up such um, uh, uh, difficulty and pressure and challenge and anger uh, among us. Um, even today, even wearing a mask can be perceived by some as a political statement instead of an act of public health. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, we, we house a ministry called Prodigal Ministries that helps uh, folks uh, who have same-sex attraction, help, but they believe in the, the biblical understanding of sexuality between a man and a woman in, in marriage. Uh, the Prodigal helps folks who same-sex attraction live in that way. And that's been their ministry for, for decades. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, they, some politicians in the city started to attack them. You may have seen a few articles in the newspaper um, uh, uh, about that, uh, attacking them without ever talking to them, without ever addressing what really are they doing and about. Um, also, uh, in our uh, neighborhood, uh, you, you may remember a couple of months ago, we had a big um, uh, line the avenue gathering uh, from you know, north side up to, to Mount Healthy, um, again, to promote uh, racial justice and equality. 
And a, a, few, a small group of people have continued to do that. Um, they've gathered on the avenue out front of a couple houses, just on, down Hamilton, near the corner actually of Hamilton and Larsh. And they've been doing that. It's largely been peaceful and, and playful. Um, but uh, last Sunday night um, at one of those houses, somebody went on the front yard of that house and to their front door and painted a big, big red X on their front door. And uh, um, had uh, we found out about a couple of ministers, and so we had a little conversation with those folks this week. But that's just to say, you know, all these things are around us. This is a, a timely, a timely opportunity to hear what does God say, what is God's wisdom, what is in this season. We're saying what is essential, what is essential to remember as we enter into highly politicized time, like the next several months. How do we follow Jesus in this? How do we honor God? And uh, our passage today is Matthew 22, which Colleen uh, basically told the story. Um, but I want to, to read that passage for us to, to hear this story of Jesus' interaction, as Colleen said, with the Herodian, the Pharisees, of about um, whether or not to pay taxes or not. So this is uh, Matthew 22, starting with verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him uh, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as uh, Colleen shared, let's unpack this interaction again with Jesus, a religious leader, the Pharisees, and actually a government leader, the Herodians. They were like a really a political party or grouping that were loyal to, to Herod. Usually they were not on the same side of the aisle, so to speak, but they have a common enemy, Jesus, because Jesus' popularity is really threatening their popularity, threatening their authority um, as he has come on the scene and has just swaths of people that are following after him. And so they want to trick him, give him a false choice. A or B, do we pay taxes or do we not pay taxes? Um, now, I do want to stop just for a moment and capture the false flat or the flattery that they're giving him. Actually, that is true, where they come to Jesus and say, you know, you, hey, great teacher, you know, you are um, uh, not swayed by public opinion. You will speak to us the truth, which is exactly the opposite of who they were, exactly the opposite of who we are 
We are all swayed by public opinion, by how, what others think about us or what's uh, um, uh, uh, the, the social structures around us, but not Jesus. He is the one who gives God's honest truth in every word and in every action. So if you're um, watching online or if you're here with us and you're just curious, you're, you're wondering about Jesus, one thing I want to tell you, you can go to him and get God's honest truth. He's not swayed by any uh, social structure, political persuasion or commitment. He is the one who speaks and acts the very word and act of God. And that's what we find so refreshing. It's what I find so refreshing that I can go to him and he can cut through my mess. He can cut through the ways that I am swayed by others and appearances and all the rest and give to me God's honest truth. And for that, we are thankful. So anyway, so they come up um, uh, giving him this this flattery, but actually not knowing it's speaking the, the truth. And uh, if you don't, uh, and they say, so are you going to pay taxes or not? And if Jesus doesn't pay, then the Herodians of the group can say, ah, you, um, you, you're starting a revolution. You don't support the, the government. Um, we, we should uh, arrest you as a traitor. If he says, pay taxes... Then the Pharisees will say to him, you're no Messiah from God. You're just angling for other political power. And you've partnered with this pagan, secular government that is evil. You've partnered with them and you are impure. So they're trying to catch him in this little trick, this catch 22. And um, let's... Just, but what we, what we'll see and what we've seen is that Jesus, he finds the way of wisdom between these two boundary lines of paying or not paying. And let's, uh, look a little deeper in those two different options. Don't pay taxes. Is that really mean? Um, uh, is that really the, the, the way to, that the Bible would say we need to act towards our government. Revolt, rebel, refuse to participate in such a broken system. Uh, if we participate at all, do we become impure? Are we sullied, dirtied by participating in the government political system? And clearly, biblical history would say no. A number of examples of folks who worked in a broken system, a pagan system, uh, in order to do what was good. Um, one example is Joseph. Um, Joseph is uh, one is the the person that was sold in slavery by his brothers. Uh, Joseph, the coat of many colors, his favorite son, but sold into slavery into Egypt. But then he works through the system of Egypt and becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. In a sense, sort of the vice Pharaoh. And there has a dream, a vision from God. A famine is going to come. And he then, for a number of years, he collects grain um, in order to make it through the famine. And in, through his leadership, then when the famine comes, the the... There are provisions for the people and he saves thousands and thousands of lives by working through a broken, pagan, evil political system, government system. Esther is another example. You know, Esther was in the king's harem. She was, and today we call her a sex slave. 
But she was the favorite in the, the harem. And she gets wind that there is a plot to slaughter the Jews. And so at risk of her own life, she goes into the king. This is uh, in the book of Esther in the Old Testament. And tells him what's going to happen. And, and, and is able to oppose this uh, desire to slaughter the Jews, this plan to do so. And again, she is instrumental in saving thousands of lives by working through a broken, pagan, evil system. And even uh, in the New Testament, Paul tells us in chapter 13, that we are to obey the government authorities. And that they're, they're there as authorities that God has placed there. Romans 13 verse 1. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore... Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Now, you read that passage out of uh, context and you'd think that, well, then we just pay taxes and we participate fully and completely and do whatever the authorities, uh, government authorities would tell us um, to do. Um, but we know that's not the case either. That, um, uh, so that goes to the other option. So don't pay taxes. That's not an option. That um, we see biblically, we see throughout history, ways that Christians have participated in the, the government, even if pagan, um, even if evil, in order to accomplish what is good. So, then if we pay taxes, does that mean we're all in? That we must participate in total submission to government authorities? Eh, what we might say is at first glance, looking at Romans 13. But no, that's not the case Either, because we can find plenty of uh, it, stories in our scripture, plenty of events that are outlined for us there of people who are God-fearing, God-followers who stood up to the government to say no. You may remember the story of Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Yeah, again, in the book of Daniel. Uh, they were part of the, the group that was taken prisoner by Babylon into the Babylonian exile. And there they, they participated in the public schools in Babylon. They participated in the government structures in, in Babylon until uh, one time they told them, well, you can't pray. And they said, no, we're going to pray. Even at risk to their very lives. They said, we're going to pray. So that's one of the stories where you find uh, God's people participating fully in a pagan, even enemy uh, government, but yet coming to the point of saying, no, we're going to obey God before we obey you. Um, you find that in Peter, uh, the apostle Peter, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 19 or chapter 5, verse 29, where Peter says clearly, when the rulers have told him, you need to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. 
And Peter said, we will obey God rather than humans. Uh, you, uh, in modern history, during World War II, a lot of things were happening, actually pre-World War II, um, in the 1930s and 40s in Germany. Uh, the Hitler was, was taking power in Germany, and, and he had roped the church in by their common German heritage, even called themselves German Christians in those days. And some of the theologians and pastors of the day saw what was happening and how dangerous it was, and they stood up against this move of pulling church and government together as one to say, we're not German Christians, we're confessing Christians. And the leaders of that, some of you may have heard, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth. And again, they took the the lead to oppose what the government was doing. And actually, in our heritage as uh, Presbyterians, they have the, uh, the Declaration of Barman, which is a, a statement that was written in the 30s by the Confessing Church, by Barth and Bonhoeffer in those days, um, stating clearly how the church is to relate to the government that we're in. We actually even have an example in our own heritage as a church. Um, Robert Hamilton Bishop, you may have heard of that name before. He was actually the first president of Miami University, there for for 10 years. And uh, after he left uh, Miami, so obviously participating in the public education system, participating in uh, the... uh, um, different structures of uh, the society and government. He came to College Hill and worked in the old farmer's college along with the Carey family, the Carey brothers. And the Carey, Careys are actually founding members of this particular uh, church. And the Careys and uh, Dr. Bishop, they, they worked together to oppose the laws of the land by helping transport stolen property. They participated and were leaders in the Underground Railroad. So as slaves found their freedom by crossing the Ohio River, the, the school and the early founders of this particular church participated in housing them in the school, housing them in their homes, and leading them to freedom in Canada. One of the, the largest um, known um, groups that, that escaped that way was the Gang of 28 that made their way up the uh, um, the hill in a fake funeral procession. They dressed whatever whoever they could into uh, clothes suitable for a funeral, and then in the, um, the the cart that the horse pulled, they had a lot of hay in a coffin. Well, people were in the coffin; they were underneath the hay. They made their way up uh, to the area, and Doctor Bishop actually met with them and prayed with them in the name of the God of. Uh, of Abraham and Moses who led uh, God's people through, out of slavery, through the Red Sea, prayed for that group to have a safe journey to Canada, to which they did. And we have actually located, uh, through the genealogy, family of people who were a part, who are descendants of that original group of 28. That's another example of a way in which, in certain times, Followers of Jesus are called to act in accordance with God's kingdom and not the kingdom of this world. I'm reminded of Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr., who, who said the church is to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. 
You know, a thermometer, you get a, get a thermometer, it just tells you what your temperature is. Just tells you what's going on. It just mirrors whatever is happening in that person. Doesn't make any kind of change or impact. And that's not what people who are about the kingdom of God are to be in this world. We're to be a thermostat, he said. You, you gauge what the temperature is in the world, but you also know what the temperature is that is God's kingdom. And so a thermostat gauges what the temperature is, gauges what it's supposed to be, and then kicks in to make changes to pursue what is in accordance with the kingdom of God. So, so we, we see the, both of these options, neither of them that if you, you pay taxes, you, you're made impure by participating with the government, or that you don't pay taxes, you rebel against such an impure institution. And so then Jesus answers in that wisdom with brilliance. And, and the word that is translated here, likeness, is actually the same word that we, tra- we could translate image. So what Jesus is saying is, all right, take the coin, look on it. Whose image is stamped on that coin? Caesar. Okay. Give it to Caesar. His image is stamped on it. And then he says, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. I, I think any reader in that day, knowing that word image, would have kicked in Genesis 1 and 2, where it's told that all human beings are made in the image of God. And so we just fill in the blanks there. Jesus is saying, Caesar's image is stamped on that coin. Give it to Caesar. Then Jesus would say, now, let me look at you. Whose image is stamped on you? God's image. Give it to God. Everything is to be given to God. You have God's image stamped on you. So in, in saying this, um, Jesus tells us, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Participate in, in the work of civics. Participate in the work of, of government leadership and participation as much as you are able. Even as just to be a good citizen and, and obey appropriately, as was the case in those days. But for us in a representative democracy, that we participate in every way that we can in accordance with God's kingdom. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar. But give to God what is God. He affirms our participation in secular government, the communities, and but sets our appropriate priorities. In all ways, we belong to God. In all ways, we obey God above all else. And he sets that clearly before us. Uh, that Barman Declaration that I was talking about in Germany in the 30s and 40s, I want to read just a section from it as it tries to delineate as well the church's place with the state. Scripture tells us that in as yet unredeemed world in which the church also exists, the state has by divine appointment the task of providing for justice and peace. It fulfills this task by means of the threat and exercise of force according to the measure of human judgment and human ability. So defining state is to be at work, you know, bringing peace, bringing justice, and even has given the authority of of force to do it. But the church acknowledges the benefit of this divine appointment in gratitude and reverence, before God. It calls to mind the kingdom of God 
God's commandment and righteousness, and thereby the responsibility both of rulers and of the ruled. It trusts and obeys the power of the word by which God upholds all things. We reject the false doctrine as though the state, over and beyond its special commission, should and could become the single order of human life. Great, powerful statement, but how do we do this? I mean, there's a whole lot more that could be said. And uh, sorry, we don't have time to go into those details. But a new book actually just came out last week that I had a chance to read last week called Compassion and Conviction, published by InterVarsity Press. It speaks how do we live as Jesus in grace, compassion, and in truth, conviction. How do we engage in uh, this day uh, in our structures? Now, it's available on InterVarsity Press. It's available online. There's actually 19 copies on the front desk if you wouldn't be able to get one and you'd like to to read it. And over the next two months, we're going to have four Zoom calls where we can discuss that together and and learn from this together. And if you want to participate in that, just email me at info at chpc.org. Or I'll send out other information about it this this week via email as well. But again, compassion and conviction. Excellent resource for just this time around the details. Again, readable, practical. And again, we'll have four times of discussion and learning from it over the next uh, two months if you want to participate um, in that. But a, a couple principles then for us. A couple principles of our participation in the the civic issues, in the political process, as, as participants in our government. One, never compromise that you are a follower of Jesus. Never compromise that. The Great Commission is still the Great Commission. And, and when you're engaged in, in political discussion, when you're engaged in, in civic activities, it, it's, there's opportunities to share Jesus. People want to hear the grace and the truth because, by and large, Christians in political spheres were weird. We don't fit in any category because we don't follow any party platform. We follow Jesus. And there's no human party platform that totally fits the kingdom of God. And so it gives great opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission, to continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus. So never compromise that. And never forget that you are Jesus' representative. You're a witness to the the character of Jesus. And when you're not, it's a powerful testimony that when you realize you've been in the flesh, not in the spirit, that you admit it and can and uh, ask for forgiveness. That's really weird. But now remember this, yeah, as, as don't forget your Jesus representatives and how you treat people is more important than what we accomplish. I mean, there may, may be times when we accomplish, we win the battle, we accomplish, we get what we want, but yet we lose the war because we've mistreated, abused people in the process. And the kingdom of God loses. So we follow the Great Commission, so don't forget that we're followers of Jesus in every way, and we're also Jesus' representatives. We follow the Great Commandment. Remember the examples of Joseph, of Esther, of Robert Hamilton Bishop, 
who were involved even at risk to their own lives. Not out of love for self, but out of love for God and love for God's creation and love for neighbor. I want to uh, read just one piece of the conclusion of uh, this uh, particular book. Um, Christians can and should enter the public space and actively engage in politics and civics. Believers need not be shy about the fact that we bring to this work a unique set of advantages granted to us by the divine power of our living God. We do not enter this space simply to pursue our own interests, but to seek the good of others. We enter the space in order to pursue God's agenda. And when we do that, God adds special grace to our efforts because our hearts and minds are fixed on the kingdom of God. We have access to the great and precious promises of the Almighty and may participate in the divine nature. It is our sacred responsibility to labor in the name of the Lord. And it's our humble privilege to labor in his, his power. And how powerful it would be if indeed we engage in the government structures of our communities, in the power and the character of Jesus, who gave his life as a sacrifice for me and for you who demonstrated the greatest love by dying on the cross to bring peace, to bring shalom, to bring righteousness. What would our world do? What would our communities do if indeed God formed a group of people committed, even in the political realm, to the humility, love, service of Jesus and the furthering of God's agenda. Amen.